We're trying something new right now, and uh, you might uh, might be a little strange for you. Uh, and that is, I'm, I'm 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 allowing, I'm wanting, I'm craving actually, that this would be a dialogue. Now, uh, that's just, that that actually is a way of teaching and preaching that I am very comfortable with. That I feel comfortable. Some people don't feel comfortable with it. Some people are wigged out by it, and we won't do it every week. And uh, but we're going to do it this week. So we are in, uh, we're in Mark, and what I want to do is I'm going to. I'm going to a- I want to ask questions, and I want you to ask questions. I want us to move. I, I mean, I have, a, I have things about this, uh, the, this, this story that I want to talk about. And we're going to read it, and then I want to, I want to explore together. I want to hear from you. I want to, and I want real questions you have about the text. The first thing I want you to think about after I read it is if there's anything that doesn't make any sense. And I'm going to try to historically construct parts of it so that some of it's more intelligible. So I'll do that and we'll try to make this something kind of engaging, interactive, uh, and see what God does with it. I'm going to read the text now, uh, and it uh, is the second in a series of stories here in, I don't take them to merely stories, I take them to be historical narratives. And uh, Mark constructs his narrative so that there is a series of conflicts between religious leaders and Jesus. Religious leaders don't like Jesus. I hope you heard what I said there. Religious leaders don't like Jesus. They don't like the Jesus of the Gospels. I think that's kind of telling. And in fact, it worries me a little bit because guess what I am? Jesus does not seem to like or does not seem to get along very well with religious professionals. This is the second such story. The culmination will be in the next chapter where they're going to seek, it ends with, they went out seeking of ways to kill him. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples For there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Let's, let me ask God to be with us, Father. I pray that you would uh, be with the one who teaches and forgive him his sins, for there are many. Uh, let your Holy Spirit be here in a way that would not only equip my words, but equip all of our thoughts together to be uh, pleasing to you 
let, let the scripture come alive to us, or rather, let us come alive to your word, for we have prayed it in Christ. Amen. Amen. I began with this text as thinking about uh, the concept of the other that we began worship with, but let, let me, let me uh, give you a little context. This, that, this story occurs twice, uh, in two of the other synoptics. It happens in Matthew 9, verse 9, following, and then in Luke 5, 29 and following. That's kind of where we learn that Levi is Matthew, who is the writer of the first gospel. And, or, uh, and uh, Matthew, Matthew's funny, Matthew means gift of God, which is a wonderful name for a tax collector, an IRS agent of the day. Gift of God. And doubtless there's, there's some sort of play, perhaps his name was changed, perhaps Matthew was a surname and Levi uh, was a first, we don't know, we don't know, but uh, he's called Levi here. Uh, in Luke we learn that he's the one throwing this as a banquet, this is a this is a party, and in the way that Luke describes it, and Luke tells us when he did research in his original sources, he got some of the details that Mark does not include here. This is Mark sometimes has more vivid, first-hand account kind of information, but in this case he doesn't. Maybe he wasn't there. Uh, so uh, we, we don't know, but uh, the, this story occurs twice elsewhere. The, the tax booth, let's build a little history as so we know, we can kind of put it together. Uh, this is how you made your money as an IRS agent for uh, Rome. The local governor would tell you, Erica, that you had to raise $10,000 every year from that, this is a duty booth, uh, probably counting fish and taxing people's fish. And it's right along the way under Herod Agrippa's reign. Herod Agrippa would have told you, you have to give me $10,000 a year. Anything extra you make? You keep it. Can you imagine if your IRS agent was motivated that way? Collect your taxes, but if you collect more, you get to keep it. Talk about an incentive for corruption. It became insane. It was nuts. And these people were villains. They were hated desperately. <laughs> and the fact that his name's Levi means he was probably from the priestly sect, the priestly, the priestly tribe. So his, he's a double traitor. He's like, a, he's supposed to be one of the inside people, and he is, he, is, he is supposed to be one of the people of God who serves in the temple. That's what the Levitical priesthood did. But instead, what's he doing? He is, he is making bank. He is wealthy, and he is powerful. And the, the stories go. I mean, this is such a scandal, by the way, that uh, a couple centuries later, a famous, uh, a famous attack on Christianity was done by a guy named Celsus. And he quoted from Mark and he said, uh, Christianity ought not to be followed because Christ's followers were sailors and tax collectors. Who are the sailors? Uh, the sailors were the, remember the, in the first, they're, they're, they were the fishermen. And uh, sailors were as notorious, I'm sorry to say this, uh, we have our, our Coast Guard people here, but still, sailors were as notorious back then as they are today. <laughs> they were notorious for, they were like, and, and for all practical purposes, uh, to Levi is a pirate himself. He's a, he is scum. So there's this wonderful, uh, so Celsus makes the, attack, makes the criticism, you ought not to follow Christianity because it is comprised of, from the very beginning, 
of scum. So this story is, and you know, did you notice three times, there's actually, it happens three times. Anybody notice it? Three times, these people, groups, two groups are mentioned in tandem. The Telon and the Hamatolos. Is that, what does it say? It says three times in the text. As if, so you just don't miss it. It's who he's eating with. Tax collectors and sinners. We pull the thread a little more historically. Let's keep pulling. There's a lot here. There's a lot here that we wouldn't necessarily see. So sinners, a Pharisee, all Pharisees. Pharisees' word, the name for their, their name actually means separate. It comes from the word, uh, uh, the Hebrew, the Aramaic actually, to be separate. And, uh, and it's funny. So they're the separatists, right? It's a wonderful, and you know what they called people who didn't study the law and didn't love the law and didn't, weren't as religious as they were? They called them sinners. They called them sinners. It doesn't even mean necessarily in this text that they, these people were notorious, a bunch of mobsters sitting around having, having dinner. Not necessarily. Could have been. We don't really know. And the scripture kind of, is kind of vague a little bit. And so, uh, but, and so with that, that, that vagueness, we can kind of walk into it a little bit in our own hearts. Now, Mark is writing for a Greek audience, so they wouldn't necessarily know that particular Pharisaical distinction, that the Pharisees were the separate ones. They come from the Hasidim, from the Maccabean period, and, uh, and they, were, they were the zealots. This is the first time they're mentioned here. First time the Pharisees are mentioned in the book of Mark. Yes? When he says sinners, is he, is he not talking about our concept of sinners? That is it. Not necessarily, right. So that, that, that's, and that's kind of helpful, right? Because it's, it's, I think it's helpful for what I think this text is getting at. And we're going to explore, I want to explore that together. Because it's really their version of the sinners, right? And uh, you know what's beautiful about that is you've got a version of who's sinners too. So do I, right? And the people that are dirty, the, the, uh, the others, and I think that part of the genius of Mark's way he's writing here is we could fill in this blank. Anybody, any of us could fill in this blank, right? Any of us could say, oh, so-and-so is a sinner. <laughs> so, well, anyway, we, we, so that's one of the risks. That's kind of rich in the text. We may not easily have seen it. And so as, we, uh, as we're kind of looking at this, oh, another, another, to, another word that comes up for the first time in this text is disciples. Disciples are mentioned for the first time in the book of Mark. In this context, in this context, why would that be? Why would that be? What do you see? What, what, what are we seeing? What's, what's popping? I'm gonna, I have things I want to explore here as we're, as we're going along, but what, what's, what's gripping you? What's moving? What's, what, as you read the text, what, what do you notice? What jumps out of you? What confuses you? Anybody have a yes, Dan, what is it? That happens repeatedly. Uh, I'm going to repeat back so it's for the recording. Dan was mentioned and notices that, that here in the text, uh, they, they don't go to Jesus directly. That probably was a token of respect. What I mean is, they, the, the, the Pharisees, the Pharisees, this uh, religious sect, and this is a clue, how do they view Jesus? How do they view Jesus? How are they treating him, for example? How, how are they treating him? Come again? Right. They're treating him as an equal. 
They're treating him as an equal. And so, and, and, and if you can get this, it's, it's more polite, it's more deferential than to, to say he, Jesus is teaching. You get the scene here. There's a lot going on. Are they afraid of the people? Perhaps. They're, they're, there's another thing going on here, too. There's another tension. There's the crowd. There's the crowd who are, and we talked about that last week. This always happens in Mark. There's the crowd over here, and then there's the religious people. And the, 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 like the religious, uh, how would you call them? Um, I had a way of expressing it. I put it in my notes. I thought it was kind of fun. Oh, yeah. For them, the religious pastime, people who are out to watch Jesus because Jesus is doing cool stuff. And then, no, that's, I got it mixed up. Sorry. These are the religious professionals over here. The religious professionals. And then there's the crowd, which is, which is religious pastime. They're doing religion as entertainment. And uh, I'm glad that that's not something you see in modern evangelicalism at all. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about this is where do the sinners and the disciples wind up? They're not in either group, right? They're not in either group. And, um, and so, but let's get back to this. This is really fascinating, Dan, because if you pull at this a little bit, the Pharisees go to his disciples because they're treating him as an equal. What is their criticism of Jesus? What's their big criticism? Okay, why, they're hanging out with the, with the sinners. Why, but why, why is that a problem? Does anybody know why that's a problem? He is coming. Good, good. They're unclean. And what David's hitting at there is that the Pharisees had rules about who you eat with, so you don't make mistakes. You might wind up eating or touching or touching the same plate or food with somebody who, in turn, had touched something dead or had touched a woman who was menstruating. Dead serious about this. And so what they had done is they had made elaborate food rules to stay away from the possibility, because, you know, let's say Timothy and I both know the rules. I can eat with Timothy anytime I want, because I know Timothy wouldn't have gone and eaten with somebody else who may have gone and eaten with somebody else who might have touched something that was dirty. Weird, huh? And they had developed this huge Talmudic, uh, 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 and, and they're criticizing Jesus because he is what? He's not following protocol. There's a way we do this, brother. You know, we don't, does he not, can you imagine, does he not know? Can you imagine, kind of, maybe he doesn't know. Like, maybe there's, a, maybe there's something, you know, and, and in a sense, their objection is a form of compliment. Does that make sense? It's a form of like, hey, you know, hey, hey, you know. There's something going on here. I'm going to see if we can tie this together a little bit, see if we can kind of see it. Um, what do the Pharisees want Jesus to be? What, what, let's picture this. What, what does he do? If they, if they could get him to join them, what does that do for them? What does that, what does that continue to establish about their religious experience? It legitimizes it, and, and legitimizes it in a particular way, though. There's a particular way that their community, their sect, their separating, 
is legitimized. How is it legitimized? This is really, that's a perfect way to put it, by the way. It's legitimized, but how are they legitimized? This, this is fascinating to me. How are they legitimized? What makes them legitimate? Okay, they follow the law. Good. But in this particular point, what makes them, what, ge- what, what, what gives them their identity? The law. Good. Keep pulling at this. I get that. Bingo. I know. No, she's listening. What's their identity? We're not him. We're not them. We are better. It's horrifying. And let's, if you wanted to, this is a, a Sartre. Sartre, Sartre is a, was one of the most amazing philosophers of the 20th century. And Sartre had a, had a one, he was, a, he was an atheist his whole life, and he gave his life to God at the very end. And by the way, everybody, all of his friends hated him for it. <laughs> And they were furious. There's been all sorts of Sartre scholars that have tried to contest it because he was so, he was at what is a classically called hard existentialism. And he had determined that there was no meaning or purpose to anything in the world. There was no meaning or purpose to anything. You were in an endless ocean without any limit. And there's no reason for you to do anything. So you might as well row because it's better than sitting still, we think. But he discovered something. He called it the other. And what he realized, he is a Kantian idea of, the, of subject and object and their difference, the subject and the object. And what he noticed was, to all of us and to our groups and to, our, and to the bourgeoisie, let's say, or some group of intellectuals, we are ourselves and we love ourselves. And what is everybody else? They're objects. You ever heard it called of objectifying woman? You ever heard that expression? Well, he, he's objectifying her. That comes from Sartre. And, and it's the idea is, is that you're viewing somebody as an object outside yourself. And so, and, and, and they're not precious like you are. Um, there's a, there's a, there was a tribe in New Guinea of cannibals. I love this story. <laughs> and, uh, and the anthropologist discovered this tribe of cannibals. And uh, everybody has a name for those who are not a part of their group in the... Uh, in Greek, it's barbaros, where we get the word barbarian. It's the, out, the outsiders. In this particular cannibalistic sect, their name for everybody who wasn't a part of their group was the edible ones. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? The ones you get to eat. That sounds like Christianity to me. That sounds like a lot of our religious overtones. They're the people we get to hate. They're the people we get to reject. They're the people we get to criticize. They're the people we get to condemn. They're the people that we, they are completely and classically other. What's Christ's view of the other? I want you to see how wonderful this is. What's Christ's view of the other? It's hard to see who he's... What's Christ's view of the other? They are the objects of his love. 
of eating. Why are some of you, why are some of you dreading Thanksgiving? I don't know of anything worse than eating with people who hate you and you hate them. You don't have, it's awful. Eating is the place of equality and joy and nurture and familial ties and embrace and union. And by the way, don't miss this, guys. What's Jesus, what's Jesus anticipating? Why is it so important that he's eating with these outsiders? Because it's, it's anticipating the table. The place of intimate love. Eat of me. Who is, well, this is interesting. So the Pharisees see Jesus, at, it's really fascinating to me that the Pharisees see, themselves, see Jesus as an equal. Therefore, they don't understand who they are. They don't understand who the sinners are. They don't know who Jesus is. He's not their equal, is he? If Jesus is our equal, if we can dumb him down, then we can bring him into our group and reject some other group, right? But if Jesus is not our equal, if, this is kind of weird, Jesus is the ultimate outsider. He comes outside space and time. He comes outside human experience. He is the son of God. He comes outside. And so as he comes from outside, he can't, he, who, does he, who does he go to in human, human culture and society, in religious society? He goes to the outsiders. This is why the writer of Hebrews says it's so important that he was crucified where? Outside. Outside the city. Outside the camp. Outside. So if you have felt outside, what's the, what's, what's the message there? If you have felt outside, if you have felt like an outsider, an other, a rejected one, somebody who didn't belong, didn't fit in, didn't meet the criterion, didn't meet the, meet the standards, what's the, what's, the, what's the message about the table now? What's the message about the meal? Outsiders are welcome. Come on in. It doesn't obliterate the idea that they're sinners and tax collectors. And, but the Pharisees, if you, and I th think about this, if you use Christianity or faith as an opportunity to establish that you are a better woman than the, than the slut in the corner, then you don't understand your religion. You don't understand the Christ who comes from outside to love the outside. If you look at the homeless, or you look at the Jew, or you look at the ISIS person, I, I don't care who it is. We can draw circles everywhere, and there are crowds, and there are religious professionals, and there are people with religious pastimes, and we can identify where they're at, but us versus them is never the place Jesus wants to bring us, because it's never the place he stands. Does that make sense? It's never the place he wants us to arrive in our religious convictions because it's never the place that he stands and he's the one person, he is the one man in all history who could have said to Ted, I belong and you don't. <laughs> he's the only one who could in his best prerogative of his person and his beauty and his love and his power as the son of God. He could have drawn circles and, made, and as, ultimately I think in the end as a judge he will. 
there is a moment described where Christ finally says, all right, deal's done. These folks are inside. And it's interesting, you know what Christ always calls hell, by the way? He always uses a, uh, he always uses a uh, prepositional phrase. He talks about being inside the banquet. He always uses this phrase, outside is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But not yet. Not yet. How could this affect us in the way we do church, guys? Seriously, let's pull this. How could that, what does that make important about how we get together here? What could that make important about what we're doing? Anybody? What could we be doing differently? How could we be describing, how could we be experiencing Sunday differently so that we were, we were this kind of person? We, were, we, were, we understood this. Anybody? Anybody have any ideas? What would it look like? How would your behaviors change? McLaren? Oh, I thought you looked like you, looked like you, were, you were ready, ready to say something. That it would look something like uh, how the people who are, not, who are not like us feel when they come here. Right. Or how we behave with them when we're out. Let's do this. Um, Timothy, could you stand up? I've used this before. Timothy, you're in the front row. Uh, I'm sorry, Timothy, to do this to you, but you can handle it. <laughs> I would be tempted. I could be tempted. You might be tempted to come to Sunday. Brittany might be tempted to come Sunday morning and to feel like church was good because we felt good together. Anybody else experience church this way? You know, we're buddies. We hug each other. We talk. And we could, we, could, we could think, we could think that there was something inhabited by the Holy Spirit that somehow the church was functioning well because of the intimacy, the, the, the sense of comfort we had, the, 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 what we could share and not share. But Ted, come up here. No, you, you, you need to keep standing up. No, you're not done yet. Ted walks up and he doesn't know us. I remember as a kid, I was, I was raised a hippie and first time I went to school, I noticed this right away. Have you guys ever done this? We're talking, and then I don't know you. You come up, we're talking, and I'll do this. Just, 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 it's only about five degrees. <laughs> you ever had anybody do that to you? What, what did I just do? I'm, what did I, I made him an outsider. What Christ is saying, and what I, th- I think is legitimate is, the health of my relationship with Timothy before God the health and the way this is spiritually functioning as alive is measured not by how good we feel, but how Ted feels when he walks up. That's a weird measurement, isn't it? It's different. That's a whole different way of measuring it. So we're saying that the person who's different, who does we don't know, who we would maybe say Ted's a threat. What is he going to do? Is he going to hurt us? Is he going to do something? And is the way he feels here? is the measure of whether we are inhabited by the Spirit of God who's inhabiting this text. Thanks, guys. Thank you for being my stooges for a moment. Let's face it. There's a lot of comfort in, in this for us sometimes. So a lot of times we can be comfortable. How many of you have felt... Let me, get, let me do something for my marriage. 
One of the things I noticed over the years that really brought us together at, in our marriage was when we mutually hated somebody. <laughs> Anybody else feel this? It was like a shortcut to, uh, to, to intimacy, right? It was a shortcut to intimacy because they were now a threat and we hated them together and we talked about how much we hated them and how we were going But what's the problem with that intimacy? It's shallow. It's, it's not healthy. It's, not, it's participating in the crime of treating people as another. Um, uh, all right, that's, uh, and so I, and as I think about this, as I think about, all right, you know what my dream is? My dream, I have a dream. Uh, but, but it's, and, and, uh, I'm sorry. And it's a vision, it's, but it's a vision that folks are going to, men and women are going to come and part of our, ch- our church community, maybe a Tuesday night, maybe a Sunday worship. And they're going to hear about Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus is the great outsider welcoming the outsiders in. And they're going to give their life to him. They're going to say, I have finally found home in the love of Jesus. And the way they're going, maybe they'll just intuit it, partly. But one of the things they're going to say and experience was these people never treated me like I was an outsider. They never set up barriers in language or relationship or intimacy that told me, you don't belong. You're not here. You're a sinner. You see? And so the the, the vision and, and, and the idea behind what it means to be a living church is to be this place. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, it can be invisible to us, right? Sometimes the way we treat people is very invisible, and uh, we don't realize it. I, I remember when I was in Oxford, and we were studying, studying there briefly, and, uh, but it was just a Wheaton program. It doesn't, wasn't anything to really boast about. And I bumped into somebody from Wheaton while I was there who was just walking down the street. They weren't a part of the program. And I remember we saw each other, and we're like, wow, I can't believe I saw you. We use that expression from the Disney, the little Disney ride. It's a small, small world. Well, wait a second. You know, it really is a small world. Do you know how big the world is of white, uh, upper-privileged uh, students at, who go to uh, academic universities in the Midwest and are able to afford to travel overseas during the summer? You just limit your group. You just, you just, that's a sociological slice. It's fairly small. My point, what's my point? Some of us have very small worlds. And we have enjoyed having a small world. And we're not taking risks. Our mother told us not to talk to strangers, right? (laughs) Okay, that was good when you were a kid. It was good when you were a child to know that stranger danger was a real thing. We need to start taking risks. Um, How many of you find money money in in uh, in the couch all the time? How many of you find remote controls, phones, things you thought were lost a year ago? It's in the couch. Right where you were sitting every day. I'll bet you there are people stuffed in the cushions of your life that you see regularly, but you don't see them. They don't exist for you. They're security people or the homeless guy's always at the one corner 
who you go across the street to avoid or, or the, the intimidating moment or whatever. There are people stuck in our lives. I love the fact that for Jesus, people weren't invisible. Let me tell you something. People did not walk by that tax booth and ever meet Levi's eyes. So what, what was the danger of him seeing you? Hey, buddy, come here. Come here. What you got in the pack? What you got in your, what you got, what you got in your backpack? Because a tax collector could tax anything you had on your person. All right, you got 15 fish? That's 15 drachma. Oh, you don't have money for it? Well, guess what? I'll give you a loan at 50% interest. You can pay me back later. I wonder how it felt for Levi when Christ just looked at him and said, Hey, you, me, let's go. We're going to be together. I'll tell you how Levi felt. He threw a party. Let's pray. I pre- I'm going to pray, Father, that there are going to be folks who want to throw a party because those religious people at that church downtown weren't religious. They weren't interested in kicking me out. They weren't interested in telling me I didn't belong. They weren't interested in me in telling me, but I, I was welcome. Father, Forgive us, even as a little church. Forgive us if anybody, anybody, anybody has ever felt unwelcomed here. Because that is a crime, not only against them, but against you and against your son. But on the flip side, thank you for welcoming people like us in. Thank you. We don't want to be outside. We want to come in from the cold. We want shelter from the storm. We want forgiveness of our crimes. We want to know healing for our lostness and our deadness and our hollowness. We want rescue from addiction. We want to know there is peace, even though we don't have peace at home. This would be such a wonderful work for you to do, Father. I, your word's so good. In Jesus' name, amen.